we're done. And then we're going to take a journey down the Roman road, and we're going to go through Romans. And uh, it's going to be so rich, so good. I, my mind's already there. I'm already looking at it, planning for it, already picking the graphics for it, and it's going to be a great series uh, because Romans will get you established in what Christianity really is and what it is not, uh, what we're all about, how we were saved, how you grow, the way um, the powerful, powerful book on grace and uh, instead of religion. So get ready for Romans, and that'll be coming, uh, I believe it's the 12th of May we begin. But let's look tonight at the Tower of Confusion. Let's stand together, and we're going to pray, and then uh, we'll get right into the book of Genesis, and I'm going to look tonight at a guy named Nimrod. Never name your child Nimrod. And I hope nobody in here did, because then I'm in trouble. But we're going to look at that in the Tower of Confusion. And I want you to remember as we do this, this is history. This is not a fable or a myth or a metaphor or an allegory. This is history. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you right now for the powerful Word of God. In the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. And Lord, thank you for opening our eyes and opening our understanding and grounding us and rooting us in the Word of God that builds our faith. And I pray that faith is built tonight and wisdom in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. All right, God bless you. You can be seated. And let's look at this tonight. This is, this is really good stuff. We're reaching the last of the four great events. We call them epical or epic events uh, in the primeval history section of Genesis contained in the first 11 chapters. Uh, the first 11 chapters carry, or, or, or carry us through four major epics, major epical events. And what were they? Say with me. Creation, fall, flood, tower. Let's try that again. And these two on the front row got it. Let's try it again. Creation, fall, flood, tower. Epical watershed events in the Word of God. And now we ended last time with Noah, his family, and all the creatures on the ark disembarking and starting all over again. That really happened? Yes, it really happened. Amen. Noah's now a type of second Adam, okay? It is through his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and I wrote back to a Laura who got these graphics for me, and I said, man, those dudes are just ugly. <laughs> I mean, that's ugly on a stick right there. <laughs> but... What? They've been in a boat for a year and a half, yeah. It's like somebody give them a razor. And... Anyway, so there you have it. And it's through Shem, Ham, and Japheth that the whole world will now be repopulated. Now, we also saw that Noah sinned, this incredible man of faith, sinned by becoming drunk, bringing shame to himself. He was discovered lying naked in a cave first by Ham. And um, Ham immediately went out, and what did he do? He didn't try to restore his dad or help his dad, but he broadcast the event. And I shared with you last week that when someone falls, like Noah here or anyone, not only does it reveal whatever is in them, but it also reveals the character of everyone around them. 
very quickly. No one knows that. Everybody thinks it's all about them. But it quickly reveals the character of everyone around them, how they respond. Because Ham made a huge mistake, a giant mistake. Forgetting himself, he began to mock his dad, deride him. His attitude was, towards him was terrible. He brought dishonor to his father. Thank God there was only two people to broadcast it to. If he'd been alive in our day, he'd have been on the internet. He'd have been on Facebook. He'd have been on Twitter. I just saw dad and guess what condition he was in. But there were only two, so he went out there and broadcast it. Now, on the other hand, Shem and Japheth walked into the cave backwards where Noah was lying naked and drunk and passed out and cast a covering onto him. Now, when he woke up, this man who had fallen stood up and prophesied. And that's where a lot of people think, well, you know, he fell and, or she fell and it's over with. But no, Noah stood up and when he came to himself and realized what had happened, he prophesied a major Bible prophecy. He prophesied a curse on Ham's descendants who would be the Canaanites. You remember the Canaanites, there were trouble for the children of Israel. Uh, the entire time they were in the uh, promised land, they were constantly having to battle the Canaanites. They were the enemies of God, the enemies of the move of God, enemies of the, of the destiny and purpose of God for his people. These Canaanites, and they were Ham's descendants. And Noah spoke a curse, not on Ham, but on his descendants. Now think about that. This mocking of his dad, God looked down through the tunnel of time to all of his descendants, children, children's children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and he cursed them. Powerful stuff. Noah saw all the coarseness and shamelessness of Ham being transmitted into the vileness and filthiness of the Canaanite tribes of a future day. They reflected Ham's DNA spiritually. And I believe in spiritual DNA. I, I really do. I believe that there is such a thing as a spiritual... I believe every church has a spiritual DNA. I believe that uh, 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 there is a spiritual DNA in families. And God saw that the Canaanites, the descendants of Ham, were going to carry his character. So these same tribes were later subdued, just as, as Noah prophesied, by the descendants of Shem. They were subdued. They became slaves because of Ham's actions towards Noah. That's powerful stuff. And he also pronounced a blessing. He turned from the curse to the blessing, and he looked at Shem and Japheth, and he spoke blessing on their descendants. Here's what he said. Shem, the father of the Semites, or Jewish peoples, was blessed indeed. You follow, of course, we know the story of the Jewish people. Though they have been a, a persecuted people through the ages, because of how they rejected Messiah Jesus when he came, there's also been a blessing on them. And there was certainly a blessing on Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're going to meet Abram in the last half of Genesis 11. In Genesis 12, the blessing is spoken over him, the promise and the covenant. And all of that came. Look, Shem set the spiritual barometer for all his descendants. 
by how he responded to his dad when he was down. It would be the Jews through whom God would channel both his revelations and his redemption. We owe our salvation to the Jews. Jesus says salvation is of the Jews. Every book in that Bible is written by a Jew except Luke and Acts. Luke and Acts, Dr. Luke was a Gentile. But aside from Dr. Luke, who wrote Acts as well, every other book is written by a Jew. God chose them to funnel his revelation through them. So that's why it's so crazy to turn against Jerusalem and Israel or ever be anti-Semitic. Because God's blessing is on them. Now, are they, are they acting right? Are they behaving right? No, they're not. But that ain't my business. My business is to obey God. And he said, bless Jerusalem and bless Israel. Now, it was from Shem's line that Abraham and his descendants, the Israelites, would come. Japheth, on the other hand, would be the empire builder. Japheth was the father of the Greeks, the father of the Romans, the Persians, and the Indo-Teutonic German races. These are the peoples who for millennia have held the destiny of men in their hands. Japheth and his descendants were blessed. Now, following the great flood, Noah lived another 350 years. Genesis 10 is called the Table of Nations. Now, if you're like me, when I read the Bible through, that's one of the chapters that bore me to tears. So-and-so begat so-and-so. Who begat so-and-so? And finally, you go, I really don't care. Just get me to the end. But you'll find if you ever dig through all those names and who begat who, it all matters. There's no, nothing wasted in the Word of God. But just, just to sum it up, it tracks, Genesis 10, all the descendants of Noah's three sons because they are the ones who repopulated the whole earth. All right? The final verse in chapter 10 reads these words, quote, These were the families of the sons of Noah according to their generations in their nations. And from these, the three sons, the nations were divided on the earth after the flood. Now, do you see the word divided there? Right there at the end, the last verse, divided. The word divided is translated from a Hebrew word actually meaning disrupted. Emphasizing man's disruption in judgment after the flood. Because God had to disrupt them again. You know, you read in Genesis, you just start way back there at the beginning and read all the way through the Bible. God was constantly having to go and clean up the mess that sin left. Dividing nations, cursing people, killing some people, healing some people, rebuking some people, raising up prophet after prophet, judge after judge, all because what we really needed was a Savior on a cross. But now, the whole chapter of chapter 10 emphasizes the completeness of man's dispersal following the confusion of languages at the Tower of Babel. That's why this is what we call an epic event. Because man was dispersed throughout the whole earth when God confused their language. So let's look at it. Genesis 11 opens to a world of only one language. Can you imagine that? How I wish that had been the case when I went through college. Because I had to take Spanish. Now, those of you that speak Spanish, God bless you. But that thing cursed me. I could not. I dropped Spanish three times in college. Finally, I got mad at it and said, I will conquer it. And I ended up with an A. But I dropped three times because of Spanish. 
So all of you that speak Spanish, naturally, God bless you. And how I wish it had been the case here because they all spoke the same language. In other words, they had a cultural unity. They thought alike. They expressed themselves in identical terms. Anywhere you went, everybody spoke your language. Anywhere in the world. In language, at least, there was unity. Everybody understood the other. No matter where you went, anywhere on the planet, you were understood. Now, what we're going to see is that the root cause for the dispersal of the nations was the building of what we know as the Tower of Babel. Now, focus on this because this is the fourth epic event, the Tower of Babel. What was it all about? Apparently, the Tower of Babel was the brainchild of a man named Nimrod. Regretfully, most of what people think about Nimrod and Babel and the Great Tower of Babel come from not the divine account given in the Bible, but from uh, medieval folklore. You've probably heard about some tower being built nine miles high all the way into the sky so that they could reach into heaven, and there's all kinds of mythical Eastern myths about this tower and Babel. But we want to look at what the Bible says and why God cursed them, why he judged them. We're told by many people, based on these myths and legends, the, the, the walls of Babel were nine miles high. Do you believe that? Hey, we know now they couldn't have breathed up there. So that can't be true, right? People commonly pass over the account given in Scripture with little notice. And they don't learn anything from it, simply because they mistakenly picture a huge tower reaching upward toward heaven, and that's an artist's rendition there, um, you see on the screen, that men hope to walk into heaven by climbing a brick tower. But that's not why they built it. That's not what it was about. Doesn't Satan so easily blind Bible truth from the eyes of people? And what the Word of God really teaches, because the Lord or the devil doesn't want us to know the Word of God. He hates that we're sitting here tonight teaching the Word of God. And I love doing what Satan hates. I love it. Here are the facts about it the city of Babel, Babylon, was built by cursed Ham's grandson, Nimrod. All right, so here's Noah cursing Ham. His grandson is Nimrod, and Nimrod built the city of Babylon in an act of rebellion against God as a fortress to protect unbelieving rebels from the wrath and judgment of God. Why? Because he knew what Noah had prophesied to his granddad. You're going to be subservient to the descendants of Shem and Japheth. And he basically said, no way. And he began to rebel against what had been the judgment of God against his lineage. Now watch this. Genesis 10, verses 8 to 10, tells us about Nimrod. Quote, and Cush begat Nimrod. And what about Nimrod? What happened to him? Well, he began to be, the Bible says, a mighty one in the earth. That's not a compliment. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Now here is where language matters. This is written in Hebrew. See that word before? The word before, well, I'll get to it in just a second. Keep that in your mind. 
Let's read the rest of the verse. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod the mighty hunter, where? Before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was what? Babel. So the beginning of Nimrod's kingdom was Babel, or Babylon. In the land of Shinar. Now, the name Nimrod means rebel. And a rebel he was. He was the cursed son of a cursed son. Nimrod knew the curse of God upon Ham and Canaan. He knew the reason for the curse. His granddaddy had mocked Noah, the righteous man of God, and God had cursed his lineage. He knew this. He was just the grandson. Guarantee you, Ham was around to tell him about it. He knew what Ham had done to Noah. But being the proud man that he was, Nimrod dared sit himself up as the judge of God's judgment. Some important, important things to note about Nimrod. Nimrod was a mighty rebel. He was a hunter, but not just a hunter of game. This man was a bloodthirsty man. He wanted all men to be put in subjection to him. He was a dictator. He would be the dictator of Babylon. He was a totalitarian. He would have liked communism or fascism or socialism or terrorism. He wanted everybody to be in subjection to him and he was determined to make it happen and that's one of the reasons he built the city. No matter who he had to kill or how many, God had said through Noah, the sons of Ham will serve Japheth and Shem. Nimrod said, We'll see about that. So in essence, he was basically thumbing his nose at God. We'll see about that. If I have anything to do with it, your judgment, your curse, what you've spoken over me and my descendants will not happen. God, the Bible records, he began to be a mighty one in the earth. Nimrod proceeded to take possession of the land of Shinar and all the peoples of the east. He began to take control over the east. He was, a, in, a, in a way, not just a city builder, but a nation builder, a dictatorship builder. And when we read in verse 9 that he was a mighty hunter before the Lord, here we come to that word before. In the, Greek, or the Hebrew language, it's better translated against. He was... A mighty hunter who was in every way against the Lord. When the Bible says that he was mighty, it's not complimenting him. It's saying he was mighty in his rebellion. He was mighty in his, in his, in his uh, um, pride and arrogance and his standing against God. Mighty in sin. And he was really against the Lord. Now the beginning of this God-hating rebel's empire... Nimrod's was Babel. It had been at least 300 years since the flood. People have a way of forgetting the judgments of God. That's why you need the Bible. You need to read it so that it'll remind you of the judgments of God. So you'll keep judgment in mind. Our nation has forgotten the judgment of God. Our nation's about to find out about it again. The terror of God's judgment was forgotten. The people were of one language, doing great, impressive things. Hey, everything's, everything's great here on planet Earth. 300 years 
since the flood, since that horrible wiping out of the whole human race and every living thing. We're told that Nimrod made himself powerful. He was on his own campaign to promote himself above all else, even God. He's a type of Antichrist. In that, he wanted himself worshipped, and he wanted himself above all else that might be worshipped. And that's one of the earmarks of the Antichrist. I've been reading Daniel this week. Daniel, chapter after chapter, tells us things about the Antichrist. And one thing that stands out every single time is Antichrist will not allow anything or anyone else to be worshipped but him. Nimrod was this way. It's the same spirit, same DNA, same attitude, running through all these rebels. The gospel of the need for blood sacrifice to cover sin that he had learned from his grandfather Noah. We saw that Noah, first thing he did when he got out of the uh, boat was he offered an offering to the Lord, a sacrifice that was just a worship offering. But Noah also uh, gave offerings to cover sin. He had learned that it's only by blood that sin is washed away. That was the message of the first couple, the first family, Adam and Eve. They learned it from God. But see, Nimrod rejected that. He rejected what he learned from Noah and through his godly father Shem or relative was held in contempt the worship of God was scorned the sheer power of Nimrod's eventual influence and wealth and following and terror caused the whole world except for God's chosen remnant who were the remnant of Shem and Japheth but the rest of everybody else followed and united with him in the building of this city and the building of this tower in rebellion against God. The city of Babel, which Nimrod built, was more than a place of government. Watch this, everyone. Babel was a religious refuge. When men decide to rebel against God, what they often do is they create a religion instead of what God has ordered that will not bring them into account for their sin. See, we're always looking for a way to hide our sin. And you, you look at all the cults, and you look at all of the different world religions, and you look at what people are really against in our day. There's only one religion they're against, and it's our religion or our faith. And you know why? Because Jesus said they hate the light, they don't want to come to the light, lest their wicked deeds would be revealed and reproved, and so they hate the light. Jesus brings you into accountability for your sin. And we don't like that. We like a religion that lets us do it our own way, do our own thing, so we don't have to answer to anybody. And so Babel wasn't just a government, but it was a religious refuge. It was a cult, if you will. Today, we, we all associate the word Babel with confusion. But that, and that is what the name has come to mean because God turned the place into confusion. So for us, Babel or Babylon is the place of confusion. But the word Babel originally meant something very different, and Nimrod is the one that named it. Nimrod named the city Babel because Babel meant the gate of God. Here's the gateway to God. Nimrod claimed to be building the gateway to God. Here was a, here was a huge rebel saying, I know the way to God. He was a cult figure. He was a cult leader. Because he went from politics to religion. He was both. So religiously, spiritually, he was a cult leader. I've got the way to God. 
but he didn't have the first clue about how to really get to God. He claimed to have his own method of approaching God, and they always do. Cain did. Yet he was in reality worshiping himself and calling it the worship of God. The story of how it all came down is found in Genesis 11, 2 through 4. Quote, as men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there, and they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. This is when they created bricks. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. Now, they weren't saying so we can climb up into heaven. They were just saying really, really tall. Something that is a real compliment and a real, uh, a, leaves a real memory of how great we were and are. And so that we may, he goes on, so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered. Look, look at this. Not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, what did God told them to do when they got off the ark? He said, I want you to scatter. I want you to be fruitful and multiply and cover the earth. What were they doing? We're not scattering. We're going to make a city and we're not going to scatter. Look, what they're, they're directly rebelling against what God had told them to do. Babel was a refuge of lies, a place in which men tried to shield themselves from the fulfillment of Noah's prophecy, prophecy to Ham and his descendants. It's not going to happen if we have anything to do with it. Babel, like all false religion, was built by a confederacy of rebels. That's what it was. They said one to another. Have you ever noticed you can get a 200 teenagers in a room and two of them are rebels, and they'll find each other in five minutes. Have you ever noticed that? Say, so how'd you hook up? How'd you find each other? It's like they got antenna. Because they can spot the same attitude that's in them in someone else from across the room when the lights are out. And rebels love to gather together because they like to know that I'm not this way alone. I need some support. I need more rebels around me. I need, I mean, I need, I'm a rebel without a cause till I get with someone. Then I'm a rebel with a cause. We're all together. But look here. Honest, faithful, believing men who are walking with God, they don't try to gain the approval or amass the strength of others in their worship of God. They don't need to. They just worship God, obeying His will and His word. But when rebels decide to undertake an evil deed, they need the reinforcement of other rebels. They always do. And so they all, quote, said to one another. They got around the table at night and started talking. It's time for all of us rebels to get together and build this city. They talked amongst themselves the plan to build Babel and the tower. Now, folks, God was watching this whole thing. Now, Babel, like all false religion, was a religious refuge built on man's wisdom and not God's command. I can't tell y'all how important it is that we stay in the Word of God, which is God's plan. And if you want to be a rebel, you've got a thousand choices out there in that culture. I mean, you're going to have all the support you need if that's where you decide to go. But I want you to see what happens here when you decide to be a rebel. The followers of Nimrod had discovered a new way of building. They learned to make bricks and mix mortar. 
And the bricks are a picture of their self-righteous works, held together by the mortar of their rebellious will. They knew that in two major ways they were going against the word of God. To, uh, he told them to scatter. They weren't going to scatter. And he told them, I'm going to curse the descendants of Ham. And they said, not if I can help it. Every brick that was laid on top of another was an act of arrogance and rebellion. When you walk away from God, every step you take is a step of rebellion. Every word you speak contrary to him is a word of rebellion. And God watches every step and he hears every word. Babel, the so-called gate of God, was the most splendid city and the most gorgeous temple the world had ever seen up to that point. But how did it look to God? God held it in utter contempt because of why it was built. They labor in vain who build unless it's the Lord that builds the house. I mean, folks, it's not what you build, it's why you build it. I'm going to say that again. It's not what you build, it's why you build it. Are you building it to the glory of God or are you building it for your own self-glory? Are you building it for the glory of God or are you building it in rebellion? Are you doing what you're doing for the glory of God and obedience to Him or are you doing it in rebellion against Him? That's what matters to God. What's behind? He doesn't care how pretty it looks to man. And notice, it looked like that God was with them because it was a splendid edifice. But just because something is splendid, beautiful, or because somebody has a lot of money, does not mean they're blessed. Hitler had a lot of money. Stalin had a lot of money. Mao had a lot of money. Just because you got money is no sign of the blessing of God at all. You can't judge somebody's spirituality by their money. If you do, you're a fool. You'll know them by their fruits, not their dough. <laughs> That's just all there is to it. I know people that have money coming out the kazoodle, but they are as wicked as the day is long. God lets wicked people get money. Where did we get off that money is a sign that God's with us? Where'd that come from? It, it's not true. They had money. Anyway, like all false religion, the city and tower of Babel were built by men for men to protect them from the judgment of God. And that's the meaning of verse 4. Quote, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves, self-glory, and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. We're doing this to resist the clear word of God. Obviously, the sons of Ham understood that the curse God had placed upon them meant the dispersion of their race through all the earth and the subservience of their family to the descendants of Shem and Japheth. They said, no, sir. We will stay right here and protect ourselves from God's judgment by building a house and religion which he will have to approve of, by which the whole world will know our names forever. They were building their own Trump Tower. I was watching, I digress here, but i got to say this. I was watching, 
I just happened to come across, it was a preacher on TV. He was saying, now, he said, now my son drives a Mercedes. And he's in his church and he's preaching from his pulpit. My son drives a Mercedes. The camera pans on to his son. His son's, you know, like on the spotlight. And he said, and my daughter, I just got my daughter a brand new Lexus. Camera pans on to the daughter. She's smiling. She got a brand new Lexus from daddy. And then he said this. He said, when they drive around town in these cars and people look at them, they say, look at how God is with them. Now, that's what he said. Well, I ran to the bathroom, came back. Got a little sick. And I said, where did that ever come from? I'll tell you what they look at. They say, they see the son and the daughter driving those cars around town. And they know who their daddy is. And he's a pastor in a church. And they start wondering, did he use our tithe money to give them that Mercedes and that Lexus? So they start wondering. Oh, my folks. You'll know them by their fruit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, faith, self-sacrifice, picking up the cross daily and following him. Not your new Mercedes. Now, God will give you, I mean, if God gives you a Mercedes, if you win the lottery, we'll take the tithe. I mean, <laughs> but let me, I've never in my life gambled, nor have I ever bought a lotto ticket. But let me tell you something. Uh, we got to get away from this thing of stuff means we're right with God. No. I'm going to watch the way your feet walk and where they take you. I'm going to listen to what comes out of your mouth. I'm going to watch what's in your life. And that's how I'm going to know if you're right with God. I told you I was digressing. I'll probably get some mail on that one. Now, now, you know, y'all are mic'd now. Did y'all know that? Y'all are mic'd now. There it is. You didn't know that, did you? And we got cameras over there, right? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> now watch this. There's, there's no way they were basically saying this. There's no way we're going to allow our descendants to serve the descendants of Shem and Japheth. We will never be in a slavery position to anyone. So we're building this tower and we're building this city. The tower reaching to heaven is, of course, not literal. It simply implied a very high, massive wall, a fortress. And I gave a couple of passages up there in other parts of the Bible so you can see the same Hebrew word being used in another place. The idea behind it was we will in our own strength and by our own efforts build our own path to heaven. Who's that sound like? Cain. What'd you say? Oprah. Oprah. Boy, we're, we're getting salty in here tonight. I shouldn't have told them they're might. Now they know they can get their two cents in. But we can edit you out. No. We're getting salty in here tonight, but no, that is what she said. The religion of Babel was exactly the same as the religion that has become increasingly popular in our current generation. Hear me on this one. It is so popular now to walk in the religion of Cain and the religion of Nimrod. It's a repeat of Cain's religion, the religion of the curse, not the blessing. False religion always says this, quote, I can get to God on my own terms. 
I will not approach him his way. I will do it my way. I think one of the worst songs ever written was I Did It My Way. Frankie Sinatra. I think that's one of the worst songs ever written. Because if you're wise, you say, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going his way. I will do it my way. That's what they were saying. All false religion is man-centered. It's flesh-pleasing. It's based in free will and good works. It is religion by which man attempts to make himself acceptable to God on his own terms, not God's terms. That's the cursed religion. That's the cursed belief. It's what God has always and always will curse. The dirty little secret is that the trap of false religion has always been God's curse. Now, listen carefully what's here. Here's what people don't realize. The trap of false religion, falling into a false religion, has always been God's curse upon those who refuse to worship Him on His terms. Remember what Jesus said in John? He said, we know what we worship. And God is looking for people who will worship Him His way, in spirit and in truth. Not any old way they want. God's on the hunt for people who will worship in spirit and according to the truth, not their own way. But what happens, look, look at what Paul wrote in um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 to 12. They, that is the lost, perish because they refused to do what everyone, read it with me, to love the truth and so be saved. So here you've got people refusing the gospel. What happens? For this reason, God sends them what? Say it with me. A powerful delusion. Who sends it? And what's the delusion? So that they will believe what? The lie. Who sent it? Why did he send it? Because they rejected what? See, when you reject the truth, you are wide open to a delusion. And the Bible lays the person that sends the delusion at the feet of God. And look what happens when they believe the lie. So that they will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. That's not a very politically correct verse, is it? That sounds kind of mean. People say, oh, God wouldn't do that, a God of love. I get so tired of hearing it. God's not just a God of love. God's a God of holiness. Because he's a God of holiness, he must judge sin. So here's these people, and he's talking about the last day people, and the delusion being the delusion of the Antichrist. But the truth is universal. When you reject the truth, you're going to get deluded somewhere. You're going to come under a delusion. Now, this delusion Paul mentions are the consequences of rejecting God's grace and salvation. This was the mark of Cain. He rejected God's way, became cursed. It's the mark of the beast. He rejects God's way. He's born cursed. This is the religion of our age. Don't tell me Jesus is the only way. Larry King loves asking people, preachers, who he gets on his show. On Larry King, still alive. He loves saying, uh, now, Preacher, 
Are you telling me I've got to believe like you to be saved? And it's amazing to me how many of them go, well, you know, uh, you know, I don't know. And, you know, Larry, that's really not my place. Oh, I've heard some good ones. So now, get me on there. I'm going to say, yes. Yes. But, and of course, Larry would never have me back. And all the phone calls he took would be phone calls criticizing me and slamming me. But folks, listen, the cursed uh, belief is when you say, I can do it my way. I'm going to do it my way and not his way. In ancient Babylon, in the days of Nimrod, in defiance to the God of Noah, men said, let's build a, a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name. Uh, that is the creed of all false religions. The religion of Babylon is any religion which centers in man, depends on man, and gives man a name of honor. It doesn't matter what name the religion wears. Any religion that makes salvation dependent upon something you do or I do rather than what Christ has done is the religion of Babylon. Any religion that makes salvation something determined by the will of man rather than the will of God is the religion of Babylon. The story ends with the sobering depiction of God's judgment in verse 5 through 9. Quote, but the Lord came down. Ooh. Mm. When you've gone so far that the Lord comes down to see about it. <laughs> you in trouble, dude. If the Lord comes down to see about it. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, Quote, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. They will finish this city and they will finish this tower. Then God said, come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they had to stop the building because they couldn't understand I'm out of anybody got any more say <laughs> that building project ended real quick they were, they were speaking in tongues, but it wasn't like Pentecost. <laughs> that is why it was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And that's why this was an epical event. The judgment of Babel is the second time in Genesis where the Lord uh, said, Let us. The first time was in creation. Let us make man. This is just the second time the three members of the Godhead said, let us. So it was real serious. Now the second time God says, come let us go down and confuse the language so they will not understand each other. And God had commanded Noah's sons twice in chapter 9, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Scatter. He had also told Ham that his descendants would serve the descendants of Shem and Japheth. When Nimrod, a descendant of Ham, refused to obey God, God brought about his will. 
by divine judgment. See, God's going to get his way. If you obey him, he'll bless your obedience and he'll do his will. But if you disobey him, he'll rebuke you and chasten you and still do his will. He's going to get those folks scattered one way or the other. And he did. When the peoples could no longer understand each other, they were forced to spread out and do exactly what God had wanted them to do originally. They were just looking for a, for a helpmate who could understand them. They had to start all over again. Now the lesson of Babel is that no religion, no will of man, no united rebellion against God will ever succeed. It's the height of arrogance and folly. It won't happen. God's will shall stand, as we're going to see next time as chapter 11 closes out with the appearance of a man named Abram and the beginning of God's plan for salvation. And that's how we're going to end Genesis next week. Can we stand up together? Isn't this a picture of what Antichrist is going to try to do? He's going to set up, try to set up a kingdom. And it won't succeed. The wisest and smartest thing we can do as God's people is just obey and let God bless you. Amen? Amen. Father, we just thank you right now for this incredible um, historical fact of how a rebel, Nimrod, decided to rebel against you and carried a whole city with him. And yet, Lord, the work came to nothing. And you scattered it and brought it down. Because, Lord, you had not built that house. Now, Lord, help us as your people to only put our hands to that which you are involved in building what you can bless, what you can smile on, what you can give power to. And we thank you, Lord, for helping us to do that in these last days. Help us to build your church that you're building. To give ourselves to the house of God, and we thank you for it. Now, if there's anything in your life, before we close tonight, that you're involved in building. It could be a relationship. It could be a business. It could be something in your life that you're involved in building and you feel deep down in your spirit God may not be involved in it. Would you just take a minute and say, Lord, if this is not something you're involved in, I walk away. I give it up. I let it go. And help me to spend my time on these days in what you're doing. In Jesus' name, let's sing. Cry, holy, holy, holy.